Good morning. Welcome back to Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host, Danger, and joining me as always is my co-host, Monster. Say hi, Monster. Good morning. Good evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. On this episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, we are going to be talking the band Grave Robber and their album, You're All Gonna Die. Now, this is an album that Monster brought to the table. Why did you bring this uh, horror rock or horror punk uh, album <laughs> to the table? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, for a guy named Monster, you can imagine a band called Grave Robber. Uh, there's probably something there he's going to like. But um, actually, a little bit of a personal history. I played a music festival uh, earlier this year called Kingdom Come. It was in Indiana. And as they were announcing all the bands, I would check them out because, you know, I was familiar with a few, but not not a ton of them and was sort of like meh on a lot of them. And then they announced this band called Grave Robber. And the picture is four dudes with these heinous crypt keeper flesh falling off the bone masks. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. And they so are I visually appeal or visually striking. Yes. And so I was like, okay, let me check this, check them out. And they are definitely the horror punk kind of sound, which if you don't know what that is, stay tuned. I'll explain in a minute. And I really liked it. And then I saw them live. And I got to tell you, they stuck out in the best way possible. They they played right as the sun was kind of going down. They had a lot of dark like lasers and stuff. Apparently, they didn't do this at the show I saw them at. Sometimes they get a little Gwar-esque and start like spitting blood out into the crowd and stuff. And all of that, just to say, also, these guys are a Christian band. Yeah, so, so I saw a couple of places where they popped up on like Christian review sites or whatever, but yep. then I saw more where they didn't. And so it was kind of a, like, I didn't find anything within their content that said they were specifically, but then that's a lot of bands that I've grown up listening sure. to. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you make good music, you make good music. I don't give two shits right. what you, what you believe in or who you are. So exactly. And I think it's really cool when I see bands because put it, I mean, like you said, whether they come right out and say it or they don't say it, the name of the festival was kingdom come festival and it was all Christian bands and it was all about that kind of stuff. And especially in between songs, when the lead vocalist who is a really nice, normal guy. He's a realtor. I'm friends with him on Facebook. His name is Sean Browning. Super sweet guy. Uh, but he goes by the name Wretched on yep. stage and talks in between songs with this like Crypt Keeper kind of voice. I love it. Um, in between songs, they make it very clear that they are a Christian band. They use certain terms to stay in the horror punk vibe. Like instead of saying God, they refer to him as the reanimator. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. And and the whole concept behind Wretched as a character is he was a corpse that was brought back to life to spread the good news, basically. Okay. No, and and that's fine. I mean, I uh, I appreciate when a band has theatrics like this. Like I saw yeah. Guar before and i've always had a fascination with guar and i lived in richmond 
for a little while, which is where Guar is from. And I went to the Guarbecue, which is what they call it there, which is uh, basically um, a barbecue festival with bands like Guar. You can't say Guarbecue while I'm sipping coffee. That is not I. We almost had to stop recording so I could clean my screen. Like, well, you know, I like that. I like that. The barbecue. Yeah, it's it's actually a lot of fun. You know, the the I believe Guar actually ended up like rehearsing and forming like right around the corner from where I lived in Richmond. And so it's just kind of, you know, living there. It's hard to escape Guar overall. But I have gotten to see Guar, I think, twice now. And they are fun. They're they're a fun show. If you don't take what they're doing serious at all, you accept it at face value. And so I appreciate sure. the the Guar theatrics of of things. You know, the spitting blood and and whatnot from the stage is always fun. You know, I think yeah. they have a splatter zone of their shows where you're guaranteed to walk away with a stained shirt. But when I looked up the band on Spotify, you know, their image pops up beside it, and you know, it's like okay, cool. They look like they are the budget war. And oh yeah, yeah. So they definitely don't have the like you said, the budget behind them to really go full blast. They do the best they can with what they have. Yeah. Um, and I think they do a really good job of it. Like when they came out on stage, this festival, most of the bands just played with the house lights. A couple of the headliners might bring out some extra stuff, but they had set up like spirit halloween style decorations all over the stage like tombstones and they had this like um pointed gate kind of thing around the drum set and it just it 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 fits really really well like if it was too smooth and polished it would be less fun like i think there's something neat about the griminess kind of like uh like sort of the Rob Zombie aesthetic. Like it's meant to look a little vintage and hokey, but that sort of adds to the charm. Yeah, the uh the Spirit Halloween gore. <laughs> that's that's there you that, go. Yeah, yeah. The Spirit that's Halloween gore. The Spirit Halloween gore that's uh gore that sings about Jesus. So go figure. Or the reanimator. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well yeah. Um so I mentioned this earlier, the lead singer's name is Wretched. Uh let me tell you the other guy's names. Uh, currently because they have gone through a lot of lineup changes that yes. Sean Browning it's it's his band he's he's the vocalist he's the songwriter but the other guys kind of come in and out and right now the the lineup is wretched viral carcass and plague past members include lamentor dr cadaver de muerte nameless maggot rot and grim <laughs> So what I think is interesting about when a band comes forward with this type of imagery, like Grave Robber and like the aforementioned Guar, the music doesn't always fit the look. And I think that that's interesting. You know, whenever I've thought of, you know, horror punk, which is what this is, it's actually, I'm going to classify it more as Southern rock horror punk, because there is a lot of Southern rock Mm -hmm. in it. We'll get into that. Yep. Yep. And I always think it's interesting that the imagery in my head of horror punk is this, but the sound is never it. I mean, if we look at at the Misfits, which were one of the biggest horror punk bands of all time, their imagery never fit, you know, the, the title of horror punk and the imagery never fit the sound. Oh, 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 oh. 
you know, what's very present in this is the same thing that was present there and in most of the the uh, the outfits it, with under the horror punk name is the crooner voice and the the punk sound behind it and okay. and this this band actually brought a bit more sound than just the the punk sound but he definitely has the crooner voice especially further on in one song specifically so Gather around, children, to another exciting episode of Monsters Music History Corner Lesson. One day I'll come up with a nice name. Okay. Theme music, then yeah, name. I want your name to always fumble on itself, but go on. <laughs> So we, we've been we've been talking about this a lot, the genre known as horror punk. So for anybody that doesn't know, horror punk is basically a subgenre of punk rock that is very influenced by 1950s doo-wop rockabilly music and also specifically 1950s sci-fi horror B movies. Obviously, some of that's, you know, pretty much anything that's horror related gets kind of thrown into this now you already mentioned them the misfits they are probably the most famous example of this they're one of the few that really got like mainstream attention but they kind of back up in the late 90s and early 2000s misfits had a, a reunion and they were putting out some new stuff but then you started having bands like afi and the murder dolls that started to kind of piggyback off of that and add kind of like a modern twist to it. Which, now, actually, hold on, I want to correct yeah. something you said. So the Misfits actually, I don't think the Misfits have ever gone completely dark. Glenn Danzig rejoined the Misfits, and it was a big, long thing of, you know, mm -hmm. he's never going to do it, he's never going to do it, then he finally did it, and it was like, cool, it's not what it was before. So, right, right. so they didn't have a reunion per se, they had kind That's of original right. members come back together, which um, a, a a funny misfit sidestep is the uh, the guy, a uh, guy in the band, Jerry Olney. Mm -hmm. So I do not remember his last name, but it kept getting mixed up at like the merch table and on posters and all. And so uh, Glenn Danzig was like, Jerry, what do you want me to put on uh, on the, 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 the paperwork, whatever? And he's, he was like, just put Jerry Olney, meaning like just put Jerry, but then he put Jerry Olney and it stuck from that point <laughs> forward. So, well, you got to have a nickname in this in this genre, yeah. right? Yeah, fair enough. So, again, so the Misfits are probably the most well known, but the genre actually kind of got its start in the 1950s with guys like Screamin' Jay Hawkins and the song I Put a Spell on You. That was sort of one of the first, like, you're singing about voodoo and all these like weird things like that. But if you remember back in the 50s and 60s, there was a big trend of like, I don't know exactly the right word to put, but like teenage tragedy songs. You had stuff like yeah. Teen Angel and Moody River and Last Kiss as sort of like, it was very kind of macabre. The music was kind of upbeat and kind of swinging, but you know, that was the lyrical content. You could, you could sing eloquently about a girl dying in a car crash after prom. Yes, exactly. So then you start to shift into 
the stuff like Alice Cooper and Black Sabbath in the 70s and 80s with is more hard rock with a horror movie aesthetic. Yeah. But that doesn't that doesn't really capture what horror punk is all about because horror punk gets more of its influence from the 50s vocal stylings as opposed to like the 70s and 80s rock stylings. Uh, you've often, you've probably heard the term rockabilly. And then in this case, a lot of times they'll refer to it as psychobilly, which is not the exact same thing as horror it's punk, not. but I, it, we're splitting hairs at this point. Like I'm not getting that deep in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I'm, I'm not ready for that uh, entry into Monsters Music Corner or whatever. No, no. I don't know. Neither am I, uh, but I will say that um, you you mentioned them already. The Misfits are sort of the best well known. There's kind a of couple the flagship of yeah, the genre. yeah. I would say that like that's sort of like the gateway. You know, if you if you see the Misfits, you see that logo, you hear a couple songs, and you're like, okay, I'm I want to dig deeper. Just like we talked about other genres, you got your A tier, your B tier. You know, if if the misfits are the A tier, then grave robber is like the B tier. Um, but there's some things that grave robber does that sort of kind of keeps them out of horror punk exactly, which I think is why I like them more than this genre in general. Um, but there are plenty of bands that are currently still doing this genre and doing it pretty well. Uh, one in particular, I would highly recommend if you like this kind of stuff, there's a band called Salem. Uh, they're used. Okay. So it used to be a band called creeper and creepers. First couple albums are 100% horror punk to a T, but then over the past couple of years, they've gotten a little more, uh glam rock kind of killers vibe they're not so much horror punk so the lead singer did a separate group called salem and that's like the horror punk spinoff now which to go back to you mentioned afi before afi's earlier sound was much more in the horror punk line yeah. than what they've become now they they hit that mainstream success and kind of morphed their sound a bit which happens i, I get it yeah. it happens you know you stick to what people like and sells records and buys you a house and cars but if i'm not mistaken so the guys in afi actually did a separate uh band called oh shoot i thought i wrote it down maybe i didn't but they actually have a separate side project i think it's called son of sam actually yeah son of sam no. And it's Davey Havoc, and it's straight up horror punk. It it harkens back to the old school AFI, but it's more modern than that. All right. I actually have heard of Son of Sam, but haven't listened to them at all. I haven't given them much time. But yeah. it makes sense, so, you know, to to keep going with that sound, you know, to scratch yeah. that itch, I guess. And there's and there's like I said, there's Psycho Billy, there's, you know, other kind of spinoffs of this subgenre. So if you like the the lyrical content, you know, the sci-fi cheesy horror movie kind of aesthetic, there's a lot of cool bands in this subgenre. It's just not one that I am super well versed in, but I do really like this flavor of it because you mentioned earlier, there's more to it than just 
straightforward horror punk. Yes. They mix some other elements in there, and I think that's why I like it so much. So on those other elements, the one that jumped out the most to me in this was Southern Rock. And Southern Rock really existed more in some of the guitar. You know, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot couple of places where he really pulls it in. There's actually one place where he plays like a he plays like a punk guitar player but it's got like a surf punk tone oh yeah we'll get there i yeah and and again i think that is part of the reason tell me what you think about this theory i feel like whenever a band is part of a genre you kind of have to stick close to the rules quote unquote of that genre to really succeed in it and when you start to veer off the like you know laid out path you start to have an uphill battle and i feel like if you're a christian horror punk band okay that's already a little bit fringe and now you're throwing in like kirk hammett style guitar solos and some of this other stuff I would imagine that there's a certain group of like purists that are like, uh, uh, this, you don't, you don't do this like this. You're getting too far off now. You know, that's why I think I like it is because it is a little left to center, but do you think that that could be a reason that these guys aren't quite as popular? Yes and no. So first off to be a Christian band, you're already kicking water uphill. You know, it's already a struggle, but then to be a Christian band and, a not be on a a label that gets attention like Tooth and Nail and Silent State that we'd mentioned before. Yeah, they are they are signed, but it is a smaller, smaller right, label. right. So that's going to limit your your audience already. But then you are bringing the horror punk sound in, which I think actually is more appealing to people than people understand. I, I think that there's there's more to that sound. You know, if more people heard that sound, they they would like it more. But well, yeah, because I think a lot of people, when they hear the term horror punk, they immediately check out because, ooh, I don't like blah, blah, blah. And like you said, th it doesn't really match tonally with that terminology because it really just sounds like, for the most part, pop punk, just with a little bit of darker lyrics. You know, it sounds like uh, crooner pop punk a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of. Yeah. But then, you know, like in the case that you had, and we've talked about before about, you know, there's a band on a bill, but you don't know that band, but you like the other bands that are there. So you go to see them and then you end up discovering this new band. You're like, these guys are great. Well, yeah. when you're bringing this sort of, you know, stage presence to the game, you're going to either make fans or have people hate you. And so a band like this is going to have, you know, going to have to take some some big strides to get forward at all i don't think that the whole you know a band in order to succeed has to contain certain sounds because there have been a ton of bands that we've liked that are in a certain genre but have certain things that don't necessarily put them in that genre 100 like for instance for some reason thrice comes to mind you know thrice definitely fits in to several different festivals you know on several different types of bills because they incorporate different sounds, Coheed and Cambria is another example. There's tons of examples of these bands. So I don't think for, you know, for certain things, for certain genres, let's say, that it has to have certain rules and certain sounds. 
I think in order to succeed, you have to be good at that bass sound, but mm-hmm. then you have to be really good at whatever other flavors you're bringing into things. Now, a band like Grave Robber, there's enough in there to appeal to the masses, you know, that subscribe to what this genre is, to the horror punk genre. But I don't think that there's enough people that listen to or are willing to give the horror punk chance, you know, uh, give it a chance and and have some sort of, you know, time invested into listening to a full album like we have on this one. Well, and I think part of it, too, is going to be the the imagery, because as a Christian band with the aesthetic that they have with the big bulky costumes and skeleton faces and stuff. I'm 100% cool with that. But yeah. some Christians yeah. some Christians are not. And you know, we were just dealing with this with Halloween coming through a couple weeks ago and a lot of Christian people talk about how evil Halloween is and stuff and it's like, well, you can think that way if you want. That's not how we think. And, you know, so for me, this looks great and I love it. And it's perfect right up my alley. But you're not going to see this at Winter Jam. No. Grave Robert's not opening for Toby Mac. You know no. what I mean? Like that's, that can't happen because of the way they look. <laughs> right. And if you and this isn't a place where, you know, we're not going to this isn't breakdown of religion or breakdown of holidays and celebrations. No. At all. But, oh, God, no. you know, there are good and bad things that can be found in the celebration of anything of anything, you know? So you're always going to have the people that are going to say, you know, Halloween's bad. Your kids shouldn't celebrate it. You're always going to have the people that say Halloween's just a fun time. You know, you're, it's just like cuss words with kids. You know, we don't discourage the kids from cussing all the time. We give them the, the knowledge of the intent of it, you know, the, you know, I think that that's something that's actually missed a lot of times. It's like, you know, if the intent of a celebration is for bad, then yes, it's going to be bad. If it's for fun, if if it's for good, it's going to be good. Plain and simple. Well, it's like the lead singer Red Letter Rising this past year was actually a performer at one of the big haunted houses in North Carolina and was great at it and had a blast doing it. And he made a really cool video on YouTube or uh, for Facebook and YouTube and stuff of him in his full costume that he was wearing at the haunted attraction, explaining why as Christians, Halloween should just be fun. And that if you're getting bent out of shape over it, that's on you. That's not on anybody else. And we even kind of got into the discussion about, Ooh, do you want to tell them about Christmas? Like, you know, like because you celebrate it, you celebrate it for your reason, not for the world's reason, you know? Um, But yeah, you're right. We're getting way off topic here. Um, All right. So let's talk about this album that if Glenn Danzig grew up in the South and made some different choices, then he would have come out with this kind of band. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. So, all right, let's talk about track one flatliners. Just a spooky, weird, moody intro. Pretty much all their albums have one of these. Yeah. There's not really much else about it. It's a minute, 34 seconds of a little eerie intro thing. Yeah. Whatever. No big deal. So let's just jump on to track two. You're all going to die. Just remember this. 
Yeah. So, you know, the first full track of the song of the album, it you know, you can't miss you're all gonna die in this song by any means. In fact, the the titles of each of these songs is directly pulled from the song itself. So there's no creativity in that. And and most of them are a horror movie title. Not every one of them, but most of them are. Yeah, and that's cool. I mean, it's a you know, it it's a, a it's a trope. It's a trope of the genre. Yeah, you know, fair enough. So this is straightforward a horror punk track with a definite southern rock tinge on it. <laughs> yes, and they even add a little bit of not only the southern rock, but there's also a little bit of actual like sci-fi synth kind of mixed in there too which i like a Mm -hmm. lot and even a little bit of so the the main vocal that uh sean lives in or excuse me wretched lives in is that rockabilly elvis kind of sound like a lot of these guys have but he will switch over into this like crypt keeper voice i kept and calling I really it the snarl the yeah. snarl that's yeah. cool yeah yeah so i, I had really like a snarl duet with it yeah no it's, yeah. it's fun it, it was a bit of a speed bump in like the like you know singing along with it sort of thing you know wh- yeah. whether you're vocally doing it you know audibly doing it or just in your head you know so it was kind of a, a little thing that at first it was like that's an odd little choice but then the more i listened to it it was fine didn't yeah. didn't bother me at all so and to your point the the music it, it it starts off pretty straightforward horror punk but especially in the verses it has this like bow about yeah about which is not really punk it's a little more rock and roll and yeah. again i think that's why i like it because just in the first song you're hearing punk you're hearing southern rock you're hearing like weird sci-fi noises weird different voices like i'm into it like i'm having a blast and i actually really enjoyed this one until the solo and i will tell you why i did not like the solo because we actually talked about this on the day seeker episode where when Somebody in the band gets a solo. Give them a moment to shine. But the same thing happened here that happened in the Dayseeker album where the solo was good little solo. It was fun for real quick. And then he started singing on top of it. The solo continued, but the singer won't shut up for it. And that's a constant issue that I have whenever solos and singers collide. Now, thankfully, throughout the rest of the album, there are some pretty solid guitar solos that oh, yeah. get shine. Again, not a characteristic of most horror punk bands. That is part of the grave robber sound that makes them stick out. So you're right. It's not a characteristic. And that's actually a criticism of this album I have overall. While, yes, it is a fun horror punk album it goes on too long. If you look at most like horror punk songs, they're a minute, two minutes, you know, they're, they're short and sweet. And I don't have an issue with uh, horror punk or punk in general. I love both genres, but not this long. And there's a good chunk of this where 
he could cut out saying the chorus over and over and over, like cut it out three times. You mm-hmm. know, I like the fact that it had solos in here because it's like, okay, that's that's a fun little bit. And it gives the guitar player a chance to really stretch his muscles, which he's obviously a very talented guitar player. But I don't need it all the time. I don't need the I don't need three minutes and eight seconds of a horror punk song. Now, for the first little bit, it was fine. You know, I did not have an issue with it on the first, you know, first chunk of this album. You know, it's this thing that I like. Okay, give me more of it. We're good. We're good. So here, I don't have an issue with it on this track because it's, you know, it's a fun one all the way through. I do have an issue with where he won't stop crooning over the guitar solo. Now, that solo may have been a bit longer than it needed to be just mm -hmm. in general, but I couldn't really tell because he was, you know, singing on top of it. Well, I I agree and I disagree because if this was just your standard three, four chord, you know, two verses, two choruses, two minute long punk song. Okay. But these guys are doing more than that. Like that's there, but then they're also going to give you this mid tempo breakdown or this eight measure, you know, weedly guitar solo. So in order to incorporate all that, I think you got to get into the, you know, three minute, three and a half minute range, still short, still tight and short. And there are a couple songs that start getting in the four to five minute range, which is a little bit egregious for, you know, some of this, some of what they're, they're doing, but overall three minutes, three and a half minutes. I, I feel like you're in, you know, safe territory there because you are adding some extra stuff. Yeah, I just had an issue with, as we get further on, you do, you are right, we do get into like the four or five minute long songs, and that's just a little bit too much for me. But as for track two, I'm good with it. I'm I'm fine with it. So, track three, Paranormal Activity. what movie that's titled after (laughs) now this one feels like a much more straight ahead horror punk song there's not as much going on to kind of differentiate it you know there's no crazy guitar solo um there's a lot of the sing-along whoa whoa whoa's which Mm -hmm. common trope and we'll hear a lot more of those as the album goes on this one's a little faster uh, a little heavier. It does get a little bit like mid-tempo creeper voice in the in the bridge. But for the most part, just a quick, fast, straightforward horror punk song. Well, I like I would, it. I wouldn't say it's a quick song because it's three minutes sixteen seconds, but it is a straightforward punk song. It's just it brings a lot more of like the old school punk, you know, influence yeah. in in the the uh, the the music but of course we've got his crooner you know which is a staple of the genre yeah and this is the first time we hear what i kept going to because i couldn't identify where the sounds were coming from we get the quick little hammer horror intro come closer please i have something to tell you you know little sound clip which we do get more places in this album but you know it was like a little okay that's fun you know it doesn't it didn't really seem to add a lot to the song and i felt like it was uh they where they do use it i feel like it's kind of a we don't have an intro to this song but we like this clip 
And so we're going to stick it here, which is a fine move in my opinion. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. Which again, that's a trope, you know, yeah. putting in sound clips from, from B movies is, you know, uh, a real common thing in the horror punk scene. And then of course, you know, you got guys like Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper who do it all the time too. Right. I, Again, I recognize most of the sound clips, and there's one coming up that I'll point out in particular that always always puts a smile on my face. So I like it. I get what you're saying. It's not necessary per se, but I think. But it doesn't that, take anything away from it either. So no, but I think it might actually be kind of one of the sources of your frustrations, maybe because that's going to add an additional five, ten seconds to each song. So you feel like it's a little longer because you've got that tacked on at the beginning or something, you know? Well, there's one place where I'll actually talk about the intro and how the, okay, I'll wait till we get to that one, but you know, the little sound clips, I didn't mind it. This one, this was one where the synths really jumped out to me more and Mm. it was really more in headphones than in speakers. And I can say that I enjoyed this album more in headphones than I did in speakers, but it was, it was good just to listen to in the background while you know, while I was doing stuff. Good, good in the car too. Anything that's like yeah. this driving, n- no pun intended, yep. is it is a good car record. I actually didn't put this one through the car. I I will say that I usually try to, and I just haven't gone anywhere since we you know took this one on that required yeah. this length of time. You know, sure. So, anyway, let's talk about track four, Invisible Man. Again, no hiding where that title is from, but yep. I do enjoy how on this album we get Invisible Man and then Incredible Shrinking Woman later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I like this one a lot, too. This one's a little more straightforward horror mm-hmm. punk, but it has this really poppy bridge. And a really nice little guitar solo in there. Kind of breaks it up from just straight ahead punk they start they're mixing in a little bit of pop punk and again the what a tasty guitar solo man i like that one a lot yeah so actually i don't have a lot to say about this one because it is just a straightforward song you do get a lot of the synth in there uh, in that uh, one as well but as far as that solo goes that solo was written to be an 80s arena rock solo yes it it, it, it pulls on an emotion that most of these kind of songs don't have <laughs> that. Okay. That solo pulls on an emotion of grandeur. I like it though. It, oh, it, no, it was, it was a fun little solo. I had no problems with it. It kind of, it almost doesn't fit because of that, but it, I don't know. I like this. Uh, I like that tone. I like the, the notes, everything about that solo was cool. Oh yeah. No, it's a great little solo, but this track was four minutes, 28 seconds. So I and I get what you're saying because, yeah, I mean I I agree. Like you could have easily shortened a, a verse or done the chorus one last time or something and keep it at a three and a half minute range. I, I agree um, with some of that, but I guess I guess for me, while I'm just sitting there listening to it, 
I'm having a good time. So I'm not really noticing that it's going on for too long, you know? So actually one of the things that I will say about a, a Misfits album, I'll, I'll just keep pulling the Misfits because they're just the closest, you know, closest, biggest thing. So mm-hmm. their albums were, you know, a good amount of tracks of quick, short songs. And that was one of the things that I've actually had an issue with in the past is the tracks are so quick that they're done and it's like, oh, okay, all right. So it kind of, it caused a lot of breaks and things. And so having them be a little bit longer kind of gives you more time to, you know, sit and enjoy it as a background thing. And it was when I sat down and really started listening to it, you know, with intention through headphones where it became taxing you know, where the length of those became an issue. So in the background was not a problem. Right. I can see that. So now what do you think? What are your opinions on track five? Something wicked this way comes. Some more hammer horror intro, which I wonder okay. is this the one that you'd recognize? That you okay. recognize? Okay. This is one of the best lines Bella Lugosi has ever said. Supernatural, perhaps. Baloney, perhaps not. Supernatural, perhaps. Baloney, perhaps not. There are many things under the sun. It's from a it's from a nineteen thirty four movie called The Black Cat, which is a really cool Boris Karloff Bella Lugosi film. And yes, I absolutely love that quote. It's so silly, but Lugosi says it like he means it. And in the context of the film, it's very cool. This is also probably my favorite song on the record. Yeah, this was this was a fun song. It this is one where we really got a breakdown. Yes. and things and i thought it was a fine little breakdown you know the uh so it, you're right so the sound clip did add some length to it but it didn't add an uncomfortable length to to things to where it was like well right. if they didn't put that there then it would have been shortened up you know it it was fine this is one where if through headphones it was like okay i get it because he keeps saying the same line over and over and over yeah yeah, yeah. And and that does I, I get what you're saying. It can become repetitive. It it's you walk a thin line between being catchy and earwormy and then being repetitive and you know, a little bit too much. Right. But what I, but what I think is cool is vocally it might get a little repetitive, but musically it keeps switching yes. things up on you. And yes. I love that. I, I will agree with you hundred percent there. Musically, this album is fun. Yeah, vocally it's repetitive. I will, I will agree with you. Yeah, there. I, I, yeah. And now this song to me sounds like a perfect blend of like Master of Puppets by Metallica. And Halloween by The Misfits. This just has this great mesh of thrash metal with horror punk. And 
just some really nice little metal riffs thrown in there, little harmonizing guitar solos in there. Like this one's this one's a bop. I love this song. This so, like I said, probably my favorite on the album. So I did like how after the little sound intro, the guitar came in like big, but it it came in big in carrying uh, Bud Light and wearing a cowboy <laughs> hat because it's a southern rock riff all the way through on this and that's a southern rock solo it's a fun solo I like it I have no problem with the guitar anywhere in this but it's southern rock old school punk okay I got what a beautiful image you just gave me thank you (laughs) I, I just pictured wretched if you don't know what these guys look like look them up just Picture him with a cowboy hat and a six pack of Bud Light just kicking the damn door in, walking in, going, go, like he does at the beginning of the song. It just, oh, perfect. Mwah, chef's kiss. No notes. I'm glad I could give you that imagery. That way, it's just, you know, it's a Southern rock riff, which I, I don't, don't have an issue it's, with. It's a Southern rock punk riff, basically. I, I don't know how it's possible, but you have made me like the song more. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I'm glad I can. I can help you with that. Now, Monster will always give extra points to a band that gives out a Clive Barker reference. So track six, Nightbreed. Now, this one, uh, musically and vocally, is not necessarily one of my favorites on the album, but the lyrics actually, it's pretty cool because they can be interpreted different ways. But the core of the book, or, or the movie Nightbreed, the book Cabal, is about this group of creatures that really don't do anything wrong, but because they are scary looking and have special abilities, everyone's out to get them. So, Lyrically, that's pretty much what he's singing about. He's basically singing the plot of Nightbreed. But given what we know about their spirituality side of things, you can interpret this song like if you're not a fan of this film, you can interpret this in in a lot of ways. So this was a turning point on the album for me. Musically, it's fine. And I would just say it's fine at best. The bridge should have been the entire song. The bridge is the best part of this song because he changes his like vocal delivery and everything there. It's yeah. got a decent solo in it, but overall, this song sounds like what we've already heard, just repackaged. Yes, it's basically the plot of Nightbreed. Also, at the same time, it has been a trend forever to have a song on your album of... You know, we're the outcasts and people don't like us, but we're going to keep doing this now. We're going to keep knocking down doors and doing what we're going to do. And I kind of felt like that's what this entry was, where it was taking this this concept of the story, Nightbreed or Cabal, whichever one you want to look at, and applying it to their spirituality and what is looked Uh at, you know, or what the the uh, that whole culture, you know, is looked at, especially you know, ones that have the appearance of these guys. I'm sure under their mask, they're fine looking fellas. I don't know. But 
Well, I, I did kind see, of felt like that's what this was. Their masks. Yeah, uh, I did see them without their masks, and you know, um, I would keep the masks on. Not, not as you know, no offense, but uh, no, I'm kidding. They, they're, they actually don't look like they're very normal looking. They don't have a lot of tattoos and piercings and stuff. But here's the thing: they're also like older guys. Like I want to say they've only been around since 2005, but I feel like, and and maybe I'm just you know because I know his personal life a little bit, but I think Sean is probably in his 40s and he's very kind of just average white guy, you know. Okay, um, all right. Real, so just kind of fun. I'm gonna stop you there because you said they're older guys, and you and I are almost 40. So I know, and I'm saying I think he's more like mid 40s. Yeah. But see, that's the thing. We grew up at a time where somebody in their 40s was seen as an older guy, you know. And so I know what I am. We, we I know what I that. am. We still have that. No, we are we are older guys, you know. So I know. Uh, I guess we're not that. Yeah, I guess we're sort of contemporaries, whether I want to believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so this but, song, this song is where I was starting to get overall fatigue on this okay. sound. I, and, and I can I can actually kind of attest to that a little bit as well. And back to your point, though, about the lyrics, I do really like the the inclusion. So, like, you're right. They There's a lot of these songs where they talk about, you know, the freaks banding together. But I really like the, the fact that he says we are freaks and they call us Nightbreed. I like the fact that it's, you know, you don't feel like an outcast. We're right there with you. We understand where we've got your back. And and I like that component of it more than just straight up like what you were saying. So there's an element to that that I've always kind of questioned. And it's like, if we're all outcasts, we're not outcasts anymore. You know, if we're all different, then nobody's different. You know, and it kind of goes along with the uh, the thing that was actually brought to me when I was, I don't know, 14. And I was you know, dressing different and whatever. And it was like, but you say you want to look different, but you look like all the other people that you're hanging out with. It's like, it's, yeah. the, it's the classic South park line. You can't be a nonconformist if you don't drink coffee. <laughs> right. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So yeah, overall, this is where I started getting fatigued and really kind of drugged down by the length of these songs because yeah, while punk is great, punk is great for a shorter amount of time. Yeah, so, okay, so I'll give you that. Track six, Nightbreed. It's not one of my favorites. Track seven, Haunted House. Again, not one of my favorites. It, Like you said, it's... It's a lot more of the same. They're not really mixing it up too much on this one. They didn't mix uh, it up so much that they put another horror sound at the beginning of this song. Yeah, that. Don't try to escape your cat. Are you ready, dear? Did, do you know who that is talking? I you actually, I, I didn't know any of these, honestly. Oh, any man, of that was Vincent Price from House on Haunted Hill. Okay, so it sounded like Vincent Price, but <laughs> I don't know the, you know, the horror movies nearly as well as you do by any means. For sure. Um, but yeah, so this one again, uh, this one is a little bit more on the pop punk side of things. 
the chord progression's a little brighter. But yeah, this little section of the album does take a dip for me as well. The little sing-along woes in there are kind of fun. Yeah, this one is like pretty those. short. This one's pretty fast, tight, and short. Three twenty-nine. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there, especially on these kind of songs, because it made more sense on songs like "Something Wicked This Way Comes," where they're throwing in guitar solos and they're mixing up rhythms and stuff like that. But for like this section of the album, where we're going pretty straightforward, yeah, you could trim a little fat maybe here or there. Right. Like, I get in this song that he believes in ghosts. I don't need to hear that he believes in ghosts as much as he says it. Cause he says I wonder, it. So, oh, I, I, I don't know what the it. count is. I believe in ghosts. Uh, Cause he says it three times. Take me to a haunted house. There's at least nine, I believe, in ghosts. Yeah. At least. So I I just need three of those. I don't need nine. <laughs> and I think that, you know, like you said, trim the fat. I don't need that much. I don't need three minutes or 29 seconds of this song. Cut this one short by a minute, and I'm good. Yeah. I, I'm I'm good with a two minute and twenty-nine second song. You know, especially this. Just straightforward. Yeah. Just kind of yeah. old school pop punk, you know. Yeah. And less southern rock, which I'm cool with, because you know it kind of it kind of changed the sound a little bit, but then it changed the sound, but then went on for too long. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, and and the next song, track eight, "Incredible Shrinking Woman." It's, it's very just straightforward horror punk. Now, this one feels a lot longer because it does have this spoken word intro, which, okay, peeve of mine. Maybe it doesn't bother other people, but it starts with Wretched explaining the lyrics of the song. Hold which, on, wait. It doesn't start with Wretched. It starts with, what did you say his name is? Wretched. No, What what's his real name? Oh, Sean. It starts with Sean saying thank you, and then Wretched. <laughs> thank you! <laughs> so, it's like his, he's got to put on his character for it and all. It's like, yeah. I think that if you're on stage and you're presenting yourself as a character, you stay in character for that performance, which well, essentially it, is what it is. Yeah. Now, but but here's the, here's the peeve of mine. I don't like it when something is clearly not live but they try to make it sound live like honestly i would have been i would have actually enjoyed this more had you taken out the fake crowd noise and put in some weird b movie sci-fi noises like just make it weird i understand the i can see where they're coming from thinking they should explain the lyrics to this song because it is you know it is kind of a uncomfortable subject and so i'm cool with them doing that this next song does not 
condone domestic violence. It's a pretty little lullaby that should make you sick to your stomachs. You see, the reanimator has said to love as he has loved to cherish. It is our desire that you will be empowered to leave your violent situation and seek refuge. If you are the perpetrator, it is our desire that you seek help and submit to the reanimator. I don't necessarily like the way they did it. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm I'm all with you there. But need to ask the question of what makes a live track? Is a live track one that's done in one take or is it done with a crowd, like in front of a crowd? Like for instance, so the Beatles Let It Be album is a live album because it was all done in one take. But inserting the live sounds with the crowd sounds and all, I I, I don't like that. I'm not I'm not for that. Now I feel the need. I, I understand the need to explain this one, but I also think that that's something that maybe should be left to a live. Right. And, and I think that, so I think that's what happened. I think they were thinking the same thing. They were like, I want to explain what these lyrics are about, but it'd be weird to just do that on the album. But if we make it sound like it's a live performance, then we can kind of, I, and now I think we're in the weeds. Because yeah. I think that they would have just stuck with one or the other. And honestly, I don't have a physical copy of this record. I know a lot of Christian bands have actually put like little explanations under the lyrics sometimes. Uh, I remember Disciple used to put like Bible verses next to their lyrics like, hey, this song is about this passage right here verbatim. And obviously, you know, these guys are playing a little loose and fast with that because of the horror movie right. imagery. But I get like the desire to explain sort of what we're talking about here, but I just don't like the way they do it. I just, I think that I honestly, I I still like my idea. I say, keep the explanation in cool. Use your crypt keeper voice. I love that. Hearing that voice talking, keep that in there. Just add some noises and sound effects, not the bait crowd because you it's to me, at least it's very like distracting. Yeah. Um, so I actually say cut that entirely because the, yeah, or just rid of it. Yeah. I, I say cut it, leave it in a liner note in a physical copy, leave it to a live performance, but not on the album because it goes on for a minute, 30 seconds. You could have given me two minutes and 28 seconds of a good little punk entry. Just, mm-hmm. it's a quick little song. It would be one of the quickest songs on here. It's got a great little drum fill, little drum run in it. And I think it's fun. Outside of that intro, I like the song. The intro hurts the song because about halfway through the intro, I've checked out. Like I had to make a point to go back and listen to this one and actually skip past the intro to hear Mm -hmm. what the song is. 
which I ended up liking the song. But if we're going to look at it for what it is as track eight, Incredible Shrinking Woman at three minutes and 58 seconds, I'm out. I'm yeah. out. And it's all because of the intro. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Uh, again, I'm sort of of two minds. I don't necessarily I can see why they felt the need to explain it, um, because, you know, the first line of the explanation is like, you know, just to clarify, this is not a song condoning domestic violence. You know, so clearly they have played this song live or they've gotten some kind of backlash on it. So they felt the need to explain it again. I just I just don't like the the way they decided to do it. And then. Maybe just because I kind of agree, I'm sort of like waiting for this part to stop. The actual song doesn't do a lot for me either. I do like that it is real fast and punchy. Um, the lyrics are kind of heavy. I'm cool with all of that, but it just it's not one of my favorites. So let me ask you a question. Would you want Slipknot to start a song with talking about how they actually feel? Because their songs are not friendly songs, <laughs> you know, lyrically, they, yeah. But if you go and you see them live, they will stop a show in a heartbeat. I've actually seen them twice live where they've done it multiple times in a show where they will stop a show. They'll stop a song mid song to mm -hmm. make sure somebody's okay in the crowd sure. to yeah. make sure things are. So there is a, a just enormous wealth of just caring about the fans and caring about people that any band within this, you know, entire scene, be it from just like black metal to pop punk or whatever, that genuinely cares about its fans and its people. Mm -hmm. And that's not on albums. And I think when you take time to give that, you know, that spoken word, it's going to mm -hmm. take away from the song because I can't imagine any band actually taking time to like sit down and go, Hey guys, look, we understand that we just had a song about shooting blood from your penis and stabbing your eyes with nails, but for the record, that's not on this album. No, no, not at all. But <laughs> I'm saying like any of the bands that would do that, that would write a song right, right. with those, you know, details in them. If they give me a spoken word section at the beginning that says, Hey, I know we just wrote a song about this. And this song is about, you know, nailing, your eyelids closed or whatever. Yeah. We don't really actually mean for you to do that. We don't want you to do that. We're going to talk about it for a minute and 30 seconds before we do uh two and a half minutes of what is going to be a fairly decent song after that. Well, and I, and I'll be honest, uh, nothing else is coming to mind. You're you, I agree with you there. There's not another example of this. that's really jumping out to me, but again, I just, I kind of think it's part of the whole, christian aspect of the band they want to it's very similar to when i used to go to woods of terror here in north carolina the owners were uh very openly christian and this woods of terror was not any sort of you know religious nothing yeah it never has been no but before you went to the attraction, you went into this little booth and watched a little video of the owner basically saying hey Everything in here is designed designed to scare you and freak you out and make you jump and you'll have a good time. But if you believe in Jesus, you have nothing to be afraid of. And it was just a quick little minute long, two minute long little clip. And hey, you paid your ticket. You're going to go in, take it or leave it. It kind of feels like that. It feels like, look, 
we we look scary we sound scary this song in particular is about domestic violence this is a scary topic but this is our way of trying to pat you on the back saying it's going to be okay again i don't mind it but i also think that the way it's delivered makes it not so great and why it can be a bit of a momentum killer all right let's talk about track nine last man on earth back in it this is one of my favorite songs on the album i think this is a killer song and last man on earth is a great richard matheson book and movie it's uh it's what i am legend is based on yes so it's a really good crooner intro if i The lyrics for this song are 100% a 50s love song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is just, it's it's a crooner song through and through. And that solo in there is what I was actually mentioning earlier, oh. where it's, a, it's punk playing with a surfer oh. punk tone. Oh. It's cool. Love it. But this song is already long enough. I don't need to <laughs> slow down after the solo. If they had just kind of let the song ride out from there, I would have been fine with it. But it's like after the solo happens, there's like this like little so like slowdown that happens. Yeah. And then they pick back up and they go on for too long, which then that next part actually includes a tambourine, which tambourines don't belong here. Don't bring tambourines into into my punk. I don't need it here. So, and I this is the one track on this album. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the one track on the album that actually fades out. Ooh, you might be right. Maybe the last song fades out too. Okay, I'll explain why. I'll explain why I don't know for sure. Okay, but yeah, <laughs> I I don't like it when a punk song fades out because a punk song should just come to an end and be done. Yeah, yeah. But this isn't just straight punk. This is a 50s crooner surfer guitar. This is horror punk. This and is close to a ballad for yeah, these guys. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. At four I, minutes, 17 seconds, it's long enough to be a ballad. <laughs> Either way, one of my favorites on the album. I think this one's cool. I, I think the whoa, whoa, whoa's are, are catchy. Yeah, they I, are. That guitar solo just melts my heart. Like, I love it. So th- that's what I was getting at. Something Wicked This Way Comes is track five. And that is, that's my favorite on the album. So track six, track seven, and track eight, I'm a little bit, like you said, getting a little fatigued. I'm not as into it. But now on this last chunk of the album, I'm back in. And the this longest song, chunks, the, the longest songs. <laughs> well, but uh, for for good reason, I think. Um, but Last Man on Earth pulls me back in. I'm I have a lot of fun with this one. Okay, yeah, no, Last Man on Earth is actually, uh, it, it's a fun song. I don't have a problem with it. It's after that solo where we get that little bit of a, a you know, slow down, and then it picks back up where I'm like, nah, nope, I'm out. I, I can't on this one. Um, okay. And then you fade out on me. I'm like, yeah, I, that doesn't fit here either. After you throw a tambourine at me. 
Just, All right. Yeah. All right. Tambourines don't belong here. Get your tambourines <laughs> out of my horror punk. All right. So track 10. Fill this place with blood. I don't know this movie. <laughs> well, so uh, I don't know that that is the name of a movie. It okay. probably is. But the story, the lyrics are actually about the story of Passover straight up out of the Bible, which, you know, honestly, if you stop and think like logically for a second, horror and the Bible are not that far apart. When you think about some of the like atrocities and horrific events, especially in the Old Testament, like it's not that big of a stretch to, to the, do this kind of thing. The book of Revelations is pure horror. Yeah. So so here you go. This is a straight up. This is a story straight up out of the Bible with that horror punk, you know, vibe to it. But kind of like the first couple songs, this one has a little more of that hard rock, southern rock riffage going on in there as well. Yeah. So. That is a great Southern Rock power intro. Yeah, I, I do like it. It's fun. And then it changes for some reason. It just kind of <laughs> the guitar changes. It's I don't I don't understand. It comes back at 141. So 141, I actually have in my notes, 141, this basically turns into a metal song with big Kirk Hammett energy, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, I like This is another one I really have a good time with. So, you know, uh, I kind of wish they had uh, just gotten rid of like a whole, um, I don't know, I'm going to say minute of this song, that chunk there at the beginning. It just, it, it because it just changed the momentum of what that power intro brought us and you know the guitar does something fun behind the vocals towards the end of the song which i think they should have put that further up into the song you know i i just i think that there were a lot of things in this track that are good but misplaced all right this has gone on long enough i have to speak up now I'm tired of the guy who brought Coheed and Cambria and Radiohead to the table complaining about the length of these punk songs. Okay, so when you bring me a punk album, punk songs should not go on for this long. You give me something like Coheed and Cambria or Radiohead or Sleep Token where it's like songs have movements to them and sh- yeah, short. Give me, give me the length. Give me what you got. Those links play better live than they do on an album. I will give you that 100% all day. But it felt like on this one, they had a couple songs that they liked and they tried to cram them together. I don't know. This one to me doesn't feel disjointed. This one feels good. It feels in the same vein as something wicked this way comes, but not quite as catchy and memorable, but it's a good mix of the pop punk and the horror punk and the Southern rock and the solos. Like I'm, I'm into this one too. I, I get what you're saying that it maybe, you know, rearrange it a little bit, shave 20, 30 seconds off of the back, but overall 
no, no real complaints on this one. I like this one. So what I will say for this song is the parts of the song that I liked, I really liked them. But yeah. then there were parts that I was just, you know, kind of indifferent about. And mm-hmm. to go back to what you said before, I want you to go back and listen to that Radiohead episode we did. I didn't like that album as much as I did <laughs> it before. So That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what I will say for this one is it does fade really well into, while I don't <laughs> like a fade out on a punk album, this one did a really good job of fading into track 11, Curse of the Werewolf. This is another really fun song. And I love the just spooky, cheesy werewolf intro. It's cool. It's fun. I know you're going to complain that it's too long because it is a five minute long song. Five minutes, 10 seconds. But you know what? This song has more in common with Pantera than it does the Misfits. I would agree with you there because that's that's the Southern rock aspect of it. This whole song, like, yeah, there is a little bit of that punk feel to it, but this is mostly just a groove metal song. And for me, I love it. I'm here for it. So I agree that it might go on a little bit long, but I do think you that the werewolf stuff at the beginning is a good 20, 30 second chunk, I think. So I don't think it's as long as it feels because it does have that intro tacked on. But I think this is a killer way to end your album being that you have your broad category. You're a horror punk band, but you go out on such a heavy, you know, metal vibe, I think is a strong statement. So I don't feel like this song belongs on this album. I feel like this is a good song. I, I really enjoyed this song if it's put into a different environment because while, you know, yes, we do get those wolves howling at the beginning and then we get what are Southern rock power chords <laughs> come in and it's fun. You know, you're right. This has a lot more in common with Pantera than the misfits. I'm cool with it, but we get a couple changes within this song and it's like <laughs> this song doesn't know what it wants to be. And I like this song. I'm in on this song in a different environment. Here, I'm not in on this one. I don't like it. And the length of the song is actually one of the reasons why I have trouble telling you what happened in the other song because I don't think I stayed checked in on this song all the way through. I got you. No, and, and I can hear that because, again, it's sort of an expectations thing. Uh, going back to Sleep Token for a second. One of the reasons I struggled so hard to get into them in the beginning was what they looked like and what my assumption was. You know, I assumed because they looked this way and they were playing shows with these bands and all this stuff. Like, I thought I was going to get something and then I got something else. And it was all it it took me a minute to wrap my head around that. So you've got this band here with Grave Robber that looks the way they do very much in the horror punk world, but mixing some other flavors in there as well. And then you have this song here at the end that doesn't feel like a horror punk song. 
No. This feels like a southern metal groove metal rock song, which, yeah, we've had elements of that. But it's always been like, OK, here's the pop punk verse. Here's the catchy chorus. And now we're going to throw in a minute worth of southern rock. Now we're back to the pop punk chorus. And there's not a lot of that in this one. This one is more of just a straight up southern groove metal song. Yeah. So for me, I, I kind of get what you're saying, because you've had, you know, 40 minutes of horror punk with other elements sprinkled in and now you've got a song that doesn't fit into that so nicely but that's i think almost to its uh not its detriment not its detriment the opposite whatever the opposite of detriment is um advantage is it i I don't know the opposite of detriment is but i would use advantage in the opposite okay of it they use it to their advantage. No, I think you're right. Thank you. Okay. Um, you end your album basically punching out just aggressively. You you take a big swing, and I get that. I get why it didn't work for you, but it definitely works for me. So I feel like this actually is an opener to a show because they come on stage with the weird sci-fi sounds. And they're picking their, their guitars as the wolves are howling. And then they enter with the big Southern rock power chord, which gets everybody amped up. I could see this being a great intro song. You know, I somewhere on my phone, I have a recording of the beginning of their set. And I'm wondering what the first song was. Um, but I do remember they had like, uh, maybe five minutes, maybe a little less than that of intro music playing. And um, while they were like backstage getting in costume and everything. And Suiting all up. I really, yeah, there you go. All I really remember was the Munsters theme. I know that was part of it. And then some other like, just like stock spooky noises and maybe another like Scooby-Doo or something maybe, but like that kind of, you know, fifties, sixties, sci-fi horror stuff you know yeah it, it definitely fit but yeah i agree i think this is uh i i don't know i really really like this song i understand why you don't love it as much as i do but i think it's a cool idea in the album well i want to be clear i like this one not here though not here. i get you. yeah i get you. if you're gonna put this here make it shorter you know give me a link that's closer to other links of this album i got you so, Monster, what's new? Hey, hey, good looking. What? Cooking. I, I guess I'm going to stick where we're at. Curse of the Werewolf. I think that it doesn't necessarily have the bounce and groove of new metal per se but it's closer than anything else that you're going to get a little bit of that in something wicked this way comes. But again, I think curse of the werewolf basically throws out all the pop punk and horror punk aesthetic and just goes straight to the bouncy metal area. So I'm going to go with that danger. What's cooking. So this is not a cop out answer, but this album, because I've said Mm -hmm. in previous episodes that, when you're cooking, you want something that's interesting enough to ignore. 
And this album provides that, with the exception of The Incredible Shrinking Woman. With the exception of eight and nine, Incredible Shrinking Woman and Last Man on Earth. Because Last Man on Earth has that fade out, which I found distracting almost every time. And then Incredible Shrinking Woman's got that intro. And so those, to me, break the momentum set by this album. And the length of the songs actually works really well there, works to their full advantage, because it doesn't give me this constant break happening in in things. So um, I'm going to say this album with the exception of eight and nine. Okay. I want, I, I don't think we have a set rule on this as far as who gives their closing statements first, but no, I've, I would, uh, on every episode, every, like we go back and forth on every episode. Okay. I, I would like you to go first this week. I want to hear your closing statements before I give mine. Okay. All right. I will be more than happy to give my closing statements. All right. If you like horror punk, this album is a good one. If you have never heard of this band or not, this album is a solid entry in the horror punk genre and has something most everyone can find enjoyable. Punk? Yes. Southern rock riffs? Yes. Decent and sometimes really good uh, solos? Yes. If you like some synth, that is there too. If you like the crooning vocals of the punk uh, uh, and the punk backdrop that Glenn Danzig uh, popularized with the Misfits, this won't feel too far from home. This has earned an honorable mention in my best albums of the year that should be shorter. Uh, I like the horror punk, but not for this long. And that hurt it and caused me to give it a rating of a 7.5. Nice. Okay. That's higher than I thought you were going to give it. And that's why I wanted you to go first, because here's the truth. Before I give my closing statement and my ranking, I am really struggling with what number I want to give this album. Because I went back and I was looking at some of the other albums that we've discussed, and I saw what I was given those. And it's like, in my heart of hearts, I like those albums more than I like this one. But when I think about what this album deserves... Versus what I've been giving other albums. Ah, it's really tearing me apart. So as I read my closing statement, I'm thinking about the number. I don't think it's going to be the number I have written down. I think I'm going to change it before I get done with this paragraph. So let's see what happens. So listening to it beginning to end, I would actually give this a lower number. But because of the length of songs and the driving that it has, it is great background music. I will I will give it that all day. That's why I've bumped it up to a 7.5. Okay. Okay. I think I think I know what I'm going to do. Okay, here we go. Horror punk is not a genre I listen to a lot of. But I like a lot of what I've heard, and Grave Robber might be my favorite of the bunch, in large part due to their on-stage personas and lyrical content. As with a lot of genres, if you're not a huge fan of that genre, a lot of the bands can start to sound similar. But Grave Robber manages to set themselves apart by adding the occasional metal riff, guitar solo, and a little more groove than a lot of their contemporaries. I also think the way that they balance biblical references with classic horror movie tropes is very interesting and done very well. The imagery certainly helps. 
But on record, these guys are good. But when you see them live in full costume and character, it goes up a notch for sure. And kudos to them for really pushing the boundaries of what the definition of a quote-unquote Christian band can be. Just due to the nature of the genre, it can get a little repetitive times, but there is usually at least a moment or two in each song that makes it worth coming back for me. 1 to 10, I'm going to also give it a 7.5. Okay, interesting. Interesting. There's very rarely that we come in at the same rating. So, and and it was and it was a little lower than that. But then when I started to think about it, I, I I think I said it as we were going by the song by song. There's only one little stretch where I'm not having a blast. I didn't say I hate those songs. I'm just having so much fun before and after that that one little stretch is what keeps it from getting any higher. And when I actually like, as we were discussing those songs, I was like, man, you know what? Sometimes when we get into the sections of albums that I don't love as much as other sections, I can't even tell you what the song sounds like because I'm just so meh on it. I'm never meh on any of this. Even the stuff that I don't think works perfect. I still enjoy, you know? Yeah. The ones that I didn't think worked perfect were enough to just still be okay with overall. Yeah. It's, 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 at no point, other than maybe the intro to Incredible Shrinking Woman, at no point do am I going, guys, what are you doing? Like, why are we doing this? Other than that one little section, I'm pretty much on board. And and that's that's a testament to a really good band, that they start making decisions, they change it up on you, they throw stuff at you, and you just say, all right, I'm here, I'm along for the ride, let's have a good time. I kind of wish I had consulted what I'd given other things before this, but I know that's, and that's why I'm still not a hundred percent. Okay. With what I gave it because I do really like this, but I liked other albums that I gave a lower score more than this. So it's almost like what I guess what it boils down to is what is your one to 10 scale? how much you enjoy it or how good do you think it is? And those might not always be the same thing. All right. So we are going to have an episode where we revisit some of the scores we've given <laughs> stuff and, and change yeah. those because you gave this a 7.5 and I gave this a 7.5, which gives it an average of drum roll, please. 7.5. Surprise, surprise. Wow. All right. Which actually ties it with, I wrestled a bear once late for nothing actually puts it in the number three spot right below sleep token sundowning, which it gave an 8.1. And actually puts it above Bad Omen's Death of Peace of Mind at a 7. So, if you disagree with the score that we gave this one, please reach out to us by sending us an email at dangerandsarge at gmail.com. One of our Facebook, X, or uh, Instagram pages, Danger and Sarge Across All Those, or our Breakdowns for Breakfast Facebook page. Please shoot us a message. Let us know what you think. Monster, what are we talking about next week? Speaking of letting us know what you think, we have another fan request. This time next week, we will be discussing Battalions of Fear, Blind Guardian's 1988 debut album. Yes. So that is Blind Guardian is the band Battalions of Fear, because I find a lot of those can be interchanged and not really know. So, <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't say it as clearly as could be done. I agree. No, it uh, all good. All good. So, Danger, what do werewolves like to eat for breakfast? I don't know, Monster. What do werewolves like to eat for breakfast? Pooched eggs. <laughs> <laughs>